what's the vibe we're going for right now? I feel like I feel like we got to slowly roll into Garbage Game Club. I don't know if you're going to throw this at the end, if you're going to throw this at the top, if we're going to talk about Well, things. right now you just had a little button prompt that came up that was like, hey, are you going to segue to Garbage Game Club? Are you going to continue conversation? Or are you going to do something the thing is, is that I told people that I would be uh, at dinner in very soon. So um, I'm kind of waiting on, you know, how long it's going to take them to get a table. <laughs> so you got a little timer in the upper right corner. I got a, I got a little timer in my head on the HUD that's like, fuck, I'm up against I'm up against a clock. Right. But I don't want to be because I want to I want to take take the the full body dive. I want to be like an Olympic swimmer. I want to be Tom Daly. I want to jump off the high dive and get into Detroit, become human, because this is Garbage Game Club, our, 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 our cyber garbage podcast that is a, a video game book club, which I think makes not sense, because why would we call it a video game book club? Like, can you have clubs that are like book clubs? Like, why do you have to use the word book right there to really define that it's a video game book club? I mean, it's, I feel like it's the best way to explain what we're doing. It's just a quick point of, like, comparison, because if you... If you say, oh, like, what do you do? Like, oh, I have, like, a podcast. What do you talk about? Oh, we do, like, a like a video game deep dive analysis. It's like, oh, that sounds boring. We do a video game. I don't know if that sounds boring, man. That that, that YouTube video essay, video game space is Well, yeah, up. for me, but most people aren't like but People me. like us. I like, but, but Ryan, we're, we're, we're going to take this podcast and we're going to shoot it into the stratosphere. Mm-hmm. It's going to, bits are going to go all throughout the internet and then someone's going to find it who's not a cyber garbage fan and be like, you know what? I like these guys and they have good stuff about games. And the people who are cyber garbage fans are going to listen anyway. They can't get enough of our goddamn voices. So what, what game are we talking about today, Joe? Detroit Become Human. I mean, I think you mean David Cage's. Detroit. I refuse. If I can spend the whole podcast without saying his name, I'd be happy. I'd much rather say our names because I'm Joey. I think you're Nick. Yeah, I'm Nick. We live together. We like video games, and we have a studio that affords us the ability to do this. So, um, yeah, thanks. (laughs) And and I don't I I don't think it's possible to talk about this game without mentioning the creator of the game. Can we just can we can we go through it quickly? Hey, this guy's a bad writer, and he's kind of super sexist, and he's kind of racist, and he's kind of a piece of shit. And for some reason, his office has a bunch of penises on the wall. And he thinks he's the shit. Yeah, but I mean, so do I. And I am. So, like, he probably has some validity to that point, right? You also have a sticker on our mirror that says dick. I think that's funny. (laughs) Has Bob ever commented on that? You know what David Cage thinks? He also thinks it's funny. (laughs) Yeah. It makes every selfie in that mirror exponentially better. It really adds flair to it. <laughs> it's very funny. I appreciate it. Yeah. We're just, we're just, we're just funny. We just, but we we're don't have an office we're full of women who were like, hey, what do you think about this? No, we don't. Uh, <laughs> Detroit, Detroit is, is David Cage's latest game. It came out on the PS4 last year. Um, I got it on release day. I we were doing an episode of Cyber Garbage, and then it was a Friday, um, and I drove 15 miles to the one red box that had it in stock, so I can pick it up, rent it, and then come home. And then I proceeded to not sleep for most of the weekend because um, David Cage style games are a very guilty pleasure of mine. Mm-hmm. I understand that they're problematic. I understand that they're not necessarily written well. I understand that David Cage is a piece of shit. I understand that uh, a lot of people don't want to play what's basically an interactive movie. But 
um, ever since ever since Heavy Rain, uh, I realized that I enjoyed that. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna play all these games because I just like them. There's something there's something that I like about the long cutscenes and the, and the very mild interaction and and the the type of storytelling that's being uh, trying to be achieved here. So so this is this is a game that that. Um, you know, I was excited for E3 2017. I think that was probably the thing that I was the most excited for. I'm like, oh shit! Uh-huh. Like, I, I th- this is something that I know that I'm gonna play day one. I, I looked at that and I looked at God of War and I was skeptical about God of War because I'm like, what the fuck are you doing with this property? And I'm like, oh, a David Cage game, cool. I'm gonna play it. I li- I like you, Quantic Dream. Um, whereas Nick, I basically had to hold his face to the fire again to play it. Because even though you are a connoisseur of multiple different video game arts, genres, types, there's just... I, I, I feel like, um, you know, you... you, you um, you're a very serious person who is a who is a writer who is a, who is a game critic who is someone who enjoys video games, and it's like you take this hard line that 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 David Cage and his products are so uh, fluffy and silly that they're not worth your time. I think that I'm a little bit extra hard on a lot of David Cage games just because he is a self-aggrandizing like I am a genius. I am creating true art so i was like okay, but you I'll- still like michael jackson songs right and he definitely molested kids right and again this is not what i was gonna say but it, it's more so the idea that well i mean okay i'm gonna hold you to the same standard i'd hold a film because essentially what you're doing and what you are creating is a glorified movie that you interact with on occasion and and that's what all of his games are. And I think that when I first learned about Quantic Dream, uh, it was with, uh, f- what's it called, Indigo Prophecy here. And I liked Indigo Prophecy. I was like, however old, maybe like 10, 11. When did that come out? Like 2002, 2003? Something like that. I was really young and it was a novel concept. I think the only other time I'd seen it was like QTEs. Uh, there was a game called Eve of Extinction. And it was essentially what david cage creates now but it is like an action movie with moments of qtes and again we see the evolution of the qte in something like uh eve all the way through um resident evil 4 and now it kind of became something of like in the vein of a walking simulator but more so just this is a passive option of entertainment until i have to interact with it which is fine i am totally on board for this sort of thing i love that but i have to ask and this is the thing i found myself asking the most uh whenever i play games that are like this is why did this need to be a game why is this why does this interaction that i'm currently doing need to involve player input and that that was one of the questions that was like my reoccurring like this is the this is the scale that I'm going to hold this game up to because I, I think that again like all good art forms they have one thing that they do exclusively that no other media does uh, so for books it's obviously the ability to paint a picture via words with cinema it is the ability to tell story through moving pictures you don't really need dialogue in good movies because you can tell what's happening via visual language that's the kine it's the movement of pictures so in video games it is clearly the ability 
to control and have player agency, something that the user is actively doing. So I'm asking, why do I need to play Detroit Become Human? And I think for the most part, there are moments that like, yeah, this is this makes sense. The, the game opens on a hostage situation where we're introduced to Connor. And Connor is a replicant in the a replicant android in the vein of like blade runner we've we've all we all have a point of reference and i think people like to give david cage a lot of shit because all of his ideas are usually the amalgam of a lot of different movies he's hoping the audience hasn't seen but i think that it works in a way that it gives people who are unfamiliar with this world an immediate point of reference you are an anomaly, Joey, because you don't watch movies. But for the most part, people understand, oh, this is a cyberpunk-type world. This is a, a, a utopia, maybe? Question mark. Uh, it's futuristic. I get it. It's like iRobot cool. And that's where we meet Connor, who is a android police officer. And apparently, he's pretty good at stopping androids who are going rogue. They are, what's it called in the game again? Deviant. They are deviant androids, where they are basically breaking their protocol and starting to develop free thought and have agency of their own. And that's where we meet Connor. He is called to a hostage situation in a high-rise luxury building, and the family butler android has taken the daughter hostage after killing the father of the family. And uh, that's actually, I think, my favorite part of the game. I think the introduction to Connor is the strongest character moment and the greatest like example of like, okay, David Cage has learned a lot. This is a fantastic character setup intro, and there is a consequence that has a lasting impact, and I think it it does something that no other part in the game usually does is that it doesn't end your playthrough immediately. And I, I really, really like the setup because there's a lot of mundane details you can go because as the Android, as a cop Android, you have the ability to look for clues via a Batman style detective vision and kind of recreate the scene of the crime as it happened, but like in reverse. So you can see the dead father and then you see, Oh, well there's like, a gunshot wound here and then you can be like well where was the gun and then you find the trajectory of the gun and it's all it, it all works very well and it's very elegant and it, you're immediately thrust into this beautiful sci-fi world and, and a, another favorite part of the game of mine is the art direction i think the art direction is really strong i think it creates a vision of the future we've all seen before but it's unique and fucking pretty it's unique to, it, it's it's something we've seen before but it's also unique which is unusual to say but it's like a mishmash of different styles that all work together and i'm all on board for the style the art and the just general architecture of the buildings but joey what did you think of connor the first time um i i I intentionally didn't play or watch like the first mission or the demo because I, I didn't want to have that experience ruined because the the demo and the trailer for the most part were was like a summation of the first level. Yeah. So I, I was stoked to play as Connor because it felt like okay I I feel like um it's very easy to to understand who this character is. Yeah. At first you you, you really get a get get a sense of the world you're in very quickly. Which, which, which I feel like is great for introduction. You, you like it, it functions both as a good tutorial, 
that encompasses all the mechanics of the game in in the first what twenty minutes. Yeah, and and you you get you get all of the feelings of of the controls, all of the feelings of the entropy you're gonna have, all of the feelings of what's going on in the game because of the of the narrative of hey, you know, you are an android. And there are other androids, and some other androids have broken their protocol, and this is what's setting up this, this whole, you know, story. No matter what you're doing when you're going through, is all revolving around three characters. You have Connor, who you get in the introductory mission that Nick was talking about. You have Kara, who is um, like, like, like a female housekeeper robot, nanny, uh-huh. android. Don't call them robots. That's rude. Uh, and then you have Marcus, who, who was... Uh, you know, you know, a housekeeper turned artist turned revolutionary, and and you know, we we play the whole game through the eyes of these three androids, and you you the thing that they have all in common is they share this world that's being affected by androids um, uh, going deviant, going rogue. So yeah, and it, the game does set up pretty well too via various articles that are laid throughout every portion of the game and just the general context of the world is the u.s is in like immediate like conflict is about to happen with russia over um i think specific territory in the arctic so like the political climate is already unstable couple that with uh humanity kind of losing jobs to androids who are they say in, in like in Canada, that there is a thirty five percent unemployment rate, yeah. which is, I mean, if you take a step back, mind boggling, and also I think just an example of poor writing, because if you had a thirty five percent unemployment rate, <laughs> you would be in the craziest depression, and no one will be buying ten thousand dollar robots. <laughs> also, the idea that a robot cost as much as a used car in twenty thirty eight is asinine because of not only inflation but just like this thing is way more useful than a car and and that's that's one of the problems i have with david cage because i think he chooses things that all seem kind of off the cuff like oh it doesn't matter what what the unemployment rates are or what the cost of an android is it's because you know it's expensive or you know that i'm going for the idea that a lot of people are unemployed or the idea that only certain people are able to afford a robot. But the implications that you just laid out mean so much more for world building. And it's just it's something that I think is an amateur move that often gets overlooked in creating a piece of media that is so rich or attempting to be rich. It's a detail that you think doesn't matter, but it has a lot to say about the world and the characters who inhabit it. There's a lot of poor details like that. Like, I was sitting down. Um, admittedly, I played this game quite a while ago, and I did go back through and refresh myself by by watching some people play, watching you play a little bit, you know, you know, reading up to, to, to refresh my memory. I didn't go back there and play it again. Did you watch my stream? Just a little bit. Just a little bit. I watched you <laughs> fucking die like a loser. Um, oh, I have problems with that scene, but yeah. We'll um, like, like, like just, just certain things like, um, why do humans spend so much money on machines just to abuse them? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's not fair. I don't think that's a fair criticism because people spend a lot of money on cars and they are just bad drivers. I, 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 I think that's a little bit of apples and oranges. Well, no, they, people mistreat the things they own all the time. 
yeah, absolutely. People people mistreat things, but all not the things time that but not things that you want and that you should have direct empathy for. Are you saying that everyone in this world has gotten so accustomed to treat like a literal human like figure like a like a piece of trash? Well, for the most part, that's most of the people we're introduced with. Yeah, they kind of treat it. At, everyone treats a lot of people treat their androids like just we're it, in it, such a comical world. It's absurd. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Like, like, like. Let me just continue on some of these thoughts. Like, what doesn't make sense? I mean, it, it's very easy to target, you know, David Cage, like icky kind of writing. Like, like it, David Cage writing to me is is a lot. Is seems very similar to the Green Book, which we talked about on Joey Hates Movies recently, in the sense that like. If the Green Book is is racism for for dummies, then so is Detroit. <laughs> so like it is so, uh, on a very surface level. If you, are, I feel like we make it worse because we are people, and the people who are listening are people who like to like dive in, do analysis, take take like take like a literary stance, um, like 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 try and interpret stuff, and that's where it breaks down. Because on a surface level, you're like, oh, look at all this imagery, but as soon as you like think about it, it's so heavy-handed and wrong and icky. It um, is. Like, I mean, how much more obvious could you be about civil rights, about about Christ imagery, about... You're, you're talking about, about... About the Holocaust. You're talking about Marcus, the revolutionary figure. The, I'm talking about the whole thing. I'm talking about <laughs> the robots being in the back of the bus. I'm talking but about there, but there's a part, all the androids have to have armbands, Nick. One of Marcus's lines that you can have him say is, I have a dream to inspire other androids then i never felt more gross than having him say i have a dream do you think if we were in the future <laughs> they could ever make black androids what do you mean right because- oh i get it. The, yeah the implications of it yeah i mean i don't think that we would ever apply skin color to androids if we realistically had them they should all be silver yeah i think silver is probably the best choice good Good note. Uh, 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 other things to that same point, like even if you're not looking at like that crazy stuff, you know, um, y- you you can't have. Fuck. What am I trying to say? Um, you 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 can't have like. I lost it. Fuck. This is why we should edit these. No, it's totally fine. No, this is this. this. Well, well, I feel like we've been dunking on the game a bit, but I, I think there's things that it does well still. Like, even though admittedly, segregation and slavery can't happen at the same time. <laughs> That's what I was trying to say. I'm sorry. If you just take a second to pick that apart and think about it, this game has both segregation and slavery happening at the same time, which just makes no sense. There's a reason why segregation came after slavery. Yeah, it's. Yeah, there's there's a lot of problems with there's a lot the of world problems. building, and and again, it might be easy to dismiss us as saying, well, like it's just the world; it doesn't matter in this te- in the context of the story. In this instance, it absolutely does because the world it is a story. The world informs every aspect of the story. Can can, can I roll back for a second and say? Because normally we say stuff like this at the top, but I liked Detroit. I had fun playing it. I enjoyed playing it. I I wouldn't. I probably wouldn't play it again because that's not what I do about games. But but like my review of this game is a thumbs up. I enjoyed the experience, even though I know that that this is coming off as very cynical and negative, and like we are dunking on. Well, I mean, you're also we're also like you're supposed to criticize things that you like, like 
you you shouldn't just be like, oh, well, I like it, so I can't criticize it. I'm like, no, you should still be able to pick it apart and be like, well, this didn't really work, this worked, this didn't, blah blah blah. Like that, that I think that's important to kind of grow as someone who just either likes games or just likes stuff in general. It's just like refining your taste via figuring out what didn't and does work. Um, but but let's go back to Connor real quick. Like after is Connor your favorite character? Uh, Connor's my favorite character. Do you sure. even care about talking about the other ones? I think they're worth talking about. Okay. <laughs> uh, but but Connor, for me, uh, I had Connor. Connor's scenario presents an interesting choice for the player because it asks of the player, how do you want to play this game? Are you going to pl- role play as the android or are you going to play as yourself? And then if you take that a step further is like the, the mental gymnastics of do you want to play the game in a way that might prolong a story or do you want to be true to yourself or do you want to try and be meta and game the game and choose answers that you think are going to do certain things? Mm, mm. Yeah, I feel you. There's, there's a, a, a like meta gaming here where you're like, well, clearly I'm not supposed to do this choice because that's going to end the game right here. So I'm just going to do this one instead and prolong it. But for the first opening scenario, I had Connor uh, sacrifice himself to save uh, the little girl. You killed Connor right away? Yeah, I did that because I wanted to see what would happen because I actually picked up this game and played it for the first time probably four months before this playthrough. And I only made it through Connor's scenario and then I just kind of like lost interest. (laughs) But in that first interaction, I got close enough to the android and I had the gun on me. And then when I found an opening, I shot him in the head and saved the little girl. So I was like, okay, that's that's one way it could have ended. But in this playthrough, I want to see if I can talk the android out of it. I couldn't. But I tackled him off the stage or off the the roof, and then I saved the little girl, but sacrificed Connor in uh, that scenario. And I think, honestly, I think that is the best choice, like story-wise, in the game. I think that is the most important thing that happens in the game to Connor from the get-go. Connor keeps on respawning every time you kill him because you just have a new Connor. It's an interesting idea, though, because it's the idea of, like, the problem of immortality is like oh it's great to live forever but then over the millennia over several thousand years you just start to lose your mind because of how lonely and just the idea of getting killed and resurrected it's almost like a part of you can't come back the same like maybe you lose a little piece along the way every time you get resurrected and it's interesting thinking about that sort of existential problem from the perspective of an android who shouldn't but Connor does. He gets the seed of deviancy planted in him early on. And I really like having him sacrifice himself. And it makes the most sense story-wise. I think any time Connor can like dramatically kill himself in order to further the plot, I think it is the most important course of action for Connor. I kept all three characters alive the whole time. Uh, I lost Kara right at the very end. And it was very annoying. But we'll get to that in a little bit. It's a shame that the the there's I think that the last scene with Kara where she's at the border is, is that one the, of is the that, best scenes in the game. Is so that it's a the real one where shame. she's trying to avoid the cars? No, that's the one where she's like at Border Patrol. Oh, okay. 
not not the one you read. Like after that, gotcha. like it, it's it's a shame you didn't get to play that because it's one of the, it's one of the strongest scenarios. And I then, think. And then we'll get to the problem I have with what happened to me, but that's fine. But after you finish a scenario or a scene with a character, we're then presented with a web of everything that could have possibly happened, but some are not revealed. Some some possible outcomes are not revealed. You just know that. There is something else that can happen. And for the most part, it's pretty obvious what you need to do in order to see a different path. But a lot of the times, I found myself like, over time in the game, after you finish a scenario, it's pretty astounding how many different forks in the road will take you very far. Which implies that your actions do have long-term consequences in the way that, say, a Telltale game doesn't. Where... For the most part, a Telltale game lets you travel in a circle and your choice is either starting from the left of the circle or the right of the circle, but you will always end at the same point. I feel very confident in saying that I think Detroit is the best video game that does this type of video game. Because it just has so many options and they actually... And it works. It's very clearly like produced well in that regard. They commit to it. There's continuity. And the and the production of the actual like character acting is also great. Yeah, it's beautiful. Like, like from, from 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 a production standpoint, both and and not not like the writing of script sense, but the writing and, and how the story interweaves. I think that that it's the most successful iteration of the quantum drink formula, which is like the gold standard of a game that wants to have branching paths like this. Which is why I think it's interesting. And I am someone who did go back and play through a lot of other stuff just to see bonus content and hear the characters speak more. But you just kind of went down a path. Yeah, I, I never I. I'm normally a 100% completionist kind of guy, but for story games like this, I'm always one and done because I'm like, nope, this was my story and this is how it unfolded. I'm not going to change. Which I wish that we had more points to compare story to story, which is just so impossible to do and probably too nitpicky for it, you it, know people. But It's very granular, but I, I think for this, I, I, it might be a good idea to just like see Connor's arc to fruition and then go character by character. Am I crazy? Is that too much? I mean, I, I, I feel like we can keep talking about Connor and then we can touch on that too quickly. Um, Con- Connor, um, I think, is the best character for me because the Connor and Hank relationship or the Connor and Mr. Krabs relationship. Is like, <laughs> I'm thinking about I didn't it. know that was Mr. Krabs. And then chat what? Told, the chat told me Dude. and I was like, oh, well, I heard it after that. But I wasn't even thinking about that. But it was great. Um, is the best relationship like this in in most games i, I, I think that it is it's this it's the strongest point of the story well, is how it, they it felt like an actual relationship yeah and, and i mean i don't like i don't like mr crab's twist of like oh no look at my son he's dead like oh so fucking weak and way to prolong those story beats to the very end and just keep leaving you hanging like the the the, the, tw- the twists if you want to call them that are such <laughs> bullshit it's like oh my son or like oh wow you mean the little girl's a robot <laughs> no shit car everyone's trying to tell you that for like fucking four hours you dumb dumb robot but the per- the problem is these twists come out of nowhere they're not choreographed other than um the the they're anti-choreographed people (laughs) lie there's no reason why little girl did not tell her in any of those scenes hey by the way i don't need food because i don't eat or there's an arbitrary i have to tell you something about the little girl we'll we'll get to that in a little bit but oh that was so annoying because as soon as i heard i was like oh she's a robot 
And then I was like, nothing was choreographed here. There was nothing foreshadowed. It's just, oh, she's a robot. Also, okay. as a robot, there's only so many different types of looking robots. Shouldn't you just know what the other ones look like? Same thing with the police. When they're scanning everyone, shouldn't the police just have like a fucking papers please book of this is what all the robots yeah. look like? This is a master a master sheet of every look of every robot. I, there's a, that's a suspension of disbelief. That's like whatever. I don't really. You don't care about that. I, I have I have a lot of you know. That's a bit. Nitpicky. If I want to suspend disbelief, I guess I'll suspend disbelief with other things. Like why do they call it Jericho? Don't they fucking know that place was famous for being invaded? And guess <laughs> what? It got invaded. Dumb robots. <laughs> right? I got that story right. Jericho got invaded. Yeah. Yeah. Great. What about like uh, – Well, it's very, again, just on the nose like naming conventions. That's like naming uh, naming your – basically Mark if, – if you would have named Marcus Jesus like – or Martin. Okay. Oh, you don't think it was that obvious with <laughs> all that Christ imagery? Well, I know. But it's like that's the kind of heavy-handed the Jericho every, naming convention Every is. robot turned deviant in the beginning because they featured abuse from humans or their caretakers. Uh-huh. And then all of a sudden robots are turning deviant for no apparent reason just because Marcus is like, I touched you. Please help me. Like, why Why did that happen? Why do no robots be- become deviants just because like, you know, there's so many of them. Don't you think some of them would just happen just because or out of petty reasons? Or well, I mean, that's something that Marcus, our, our housekeeper that we're introduced to shortly after Connor, is like he is a servant robot, but you learn that his owner is actually kind. He's an artist and kind of has a healthy relationship with Marcus because he sees Marcus as the son he wishes his biological son would have become. And Marcus is subject to a lot of abuse on his day-to-day life when he's doing chores like getting paint in our opening scene and he encounters a group of protesters who turn violent when they learn that he is an android and again because he is an android he just kind of he he sucks it up but you can tell that it bothers him i think that's one of the thing about this that's the thing about this game is the performances are very good but the problem a lot of times is that the human performances feel human in points where these androids are supposed to feel android. And I think that's why I like Connor so much is because he's able to sell the android aspect until he becomes deviant. And on his road to deviancy, he slowly starts to break that robot facade. And then we see the human underneath. Whereas Marcus and Kara, I feel like their their performances are genuinely human like 95% of the time. Yeah. And it, it should have been a progression or a, a de- degradation, if you will, in this instance. But regardless, Marcus is immediately sympathetic because he is subject to abuse from people when he is just trying to do his job. And he takes care of his owner. And for the most part, they have a very healthy relationship. And the owner even encourages Marcus to participate in creating art of his own. And, and that's when we learn, like, oh, Marcus might be special because a robot shouldn't be able to create something like art. Yeah. And again, this is something that we've seen in just about every type of robot uprising story, but it's fine. It's not a big deal. I'm pretty sure it happens in AI. Uh, it, it also happens in iRobot, and it also happens in Chappie. But that's fine. Can I be here to split more hairs? Yeah. I forget Marcus's 
Marcus's dad's uh, caretaker uh, person, human's name. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's not important. <laughs> they're in a wheelchair. The only bathroom is on the top floor of the house. <laughs> it's just bad design. Yeah. You, well, I mean, if you get a house and then you're like, I'm just going to put a bathroom on the second floor because I can. I'm rich, whatever. And then you get paralyzed. It's like, oh, I didn't really think that. That's the through. only restroom in that house. <laughs> you think you would have had one done after the accident, right? Yeah, he clearly has the money. I, I, I like Marcus's story, I guess, was f- fine. He does have the lift. Chat wants to point out that he does have a really Could cool lift. Could you imagine lift. how annoying that would yeah. be to take the lift up every time you had to go to the bathroom? Well, that's why his son hates him, because he had to do it all the time for him. So that's when he got Marcus. Could like, you imagine, God. Like, like, the police shooting Marcus, like, why wouldn't that guy just clear up that he was doing nothing wrong? Why did he get thrown in the dump? Why did he have to rebuild himself? Why are there so many parts there and the people aren't raiding those parts? Uh-huh. parts? There's... Well, Why didn't he record his video message before he got to the tower? You're talking about the part where Marcus is quote-unquote killed and uh, his body winds up in a... In the iRobot robot graveyard? In an, It is the same graveyard. But he winds up in a graveyard. And okay, for the most part, 80% of this scene I like from a stylized perspective. I like that it's stylized in the way that some of his sensors are busted, so you can't hear well, and it's hard to see because his his eye sensors are busted, and he has like his aural sensor is busted as well. So that uh, yeah, that is really cool. And also, like he doesn't have functioning legs, so he is you have to crawl through the mud, and then you rip off parts of other androids, at, other androids who are alive, quote unquote, and replacing them yourself. And you have the option to interact with certain android where you can rip something from them, but instead of like you think they're dead, but then you learn like, oh, they're still functioning, so maybe I'm not going to steal this part I need. Or maybe fuck this robot and I'm going to steal its neural piece or whatever I need from it. Um, But it it all goes so well. Like I think 90% of that scene works incredibly well until the end where he just – David Cage decides that he wants to, like, end in a cool, badass way. And so Marcus discovers, like, a jacket that's floating in the wind that's just, like, attached to, like, a stick in the ground. And it's just perfectly floating dramatically in the air. And he he picks it up and puts it on. And it's just him walking away, leaving the graveyard behind because he's badass. Like, oh, man, so cool. It just felt so cheesy. It felt like a bad anime where it's just like, oh, yeah, of course, it's going to look – like it looks cool, but the circumstance, the circumstances surrounding it just feels so hack, for lack of a better word. I don't know. The hack for me starts, stops, and starts at the back of the bus and the Holocaust references. Ugh. Like, yeah, the androids aren't allowed to sit up front with the humans, so they have to stand in the back of the bus. But that's the stuff. I mean, everyone, if if you've watched or listened to anything about this game, like, I mean, that's it's it's just such easy pickings. But it's something that it's a grown pitch. man writing who thought this is a good idea. Robots have never been seen as an analog for because, slavery. Because I do think that on a more surface level, if you're not being crazy and if you don't want to interpret your media like we do, that it is good. I, th- I think it's good if for... you never watched any piece of media I, no, ever. You, you, you are so the 1% of the 1%. That's, but like something as deeply rooted as slavery, at least in the U.S., it's just like 
this is something that gets hammered in you in school. The, the idea that like, yeah, black people used to have to sit at the back of the bus. Like that's fucked up. I don't think you understand. And, and that's something that's so ingrained in America, the American education system. Like this is something that we just inherently understand as I, being messed up. I think way more people, I think way more like, like, like the common man would, would, would see this and be like, Whoa, dude, they're talking about fucking slavery. Then like, Oh my God. Fucking hit the nail on the head even more, David Cage. I th- we are in that in that minute later but latter I, group. I just I think this is, but again, this right here is just a fundamental difference between you and I. I have the uh, I like to treat an audience. Sm- I, I think an audience deserves to be treated with respect and treated as though they are intelligent humans. But you often feel as though you have to dumb it down as much as possible. Because you believe humanity is just inherently dumb. I think content that's made with with with. But and David Cage is an American. Chat wants to point out that is very important. Sorry, cut you off. I think that the media is always better when it's targeted at at not at the people who do want to analyze it and and consume it and and not not the common man. But I think that 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 uh, the common man's position is the majority position on on most things. Not many people are, are going through and nitpicking and being like, "Oh, you know, I feel like we're a little bit too heavy-handed about you know the whole Christ imagery." But I think it's something that people in like subconsciously infer and in, and kind of ingest. They don't need to think about it, but the visual stimulus and the concept was presented to them. They don't need to recognize it. But it was presented to them in a way that kind of informs the way the rest of the media unfolds. And I think that's where I don't think it needs to be dumbed down because I think that we underestimate how ingestion works. When you eat a piece of food, it's really easy to just be like, oh, this tasted good. But for the most part, we have a general idea of like, oh, I probably shouldn't have had that donut because it's going to be bad for me. Or, oh, I'm going to have an apple because this is healthy for me. There's nothing about the apple inherently that says it's healthy. But, dude, apples are gross. But you understand it because it's been hammered home to you so many times throughout most of your life. So it's like you implicitly understand how it's going to affect you in the long run. And I think that stories work in a similar function. I've always been of the mindset that media is the same as food. You ingest it and your body processes it processes it in different ways. But nah man, I think people are dumb. <laughs> but regardless, I think people are dumb. We are introduced to Marcus and then over the course of the game, he becomes the quote unquote woke android and he has the ability to kind of help the androids become uh, uh, sentient. Sentient and also deviant. Deviant. Woke. Yeah. He, he incites like the rise of deviancy in all of the androids. And at first, it's something that he has to do a very explicit action, which is the handshake we see throughout most of the game, where the, the flesh kind of peels away to reveal the android underneath. And then he can pass along this, this woke programming. But over the course of the game, the more and more he kind of rises to infamy in the in humanity's eyes and fame in the android's eyes he gets the ability to kind of become a god to some extent he does become a christ-like figure not only in how he has 
different outcomes of sacrificing himself for the greater good, but also in in the Christ-like capability of, you know, whenever Jesus rode to town. In the Bible, people would flock to Jesus because they wanted to touch touch him. Not even like him. If they could just touch the hem of his robe, they would be healed. Because like what, you know, if people were um, lepers, they could touch the hem of the robe and instantly they would be cured. And this is, I think, a very similar analogy to Marcus in that by touching other robots, he has the ability, just touching them, he has the ability to quote unquote woke them. And then that finally gets upgraded to level three where he can kind of look in the general direction of a group of androids and say, follow me. And then they're like, oh shit, I'm woke now. Which is cool. I think that's an interesting progression and it's something that you don't see too often in a story like this, in a a story that's as rote as this. Uh, But I I think it's interesting that we're getting a Christ parallel and seeing a parallel that's not often used when comparing main characters to Christ. Because, quote spoilers, most characters, especially in classic Hollywood cinema, are usually Christ-like figures. Uh, But this is a, a take of a Christ-like figure where there's a branch of it that's like, oh, that's a fresh branch I've never really seen. So that's kind of cool. I was just always annoyed by Marcus and his self-righteousness, even though I was the one making him extra self-righteous. It's like I, I played that character just to hate him more. So you role-played him in a way that you think that was true to the character. Yep, not true to me. Yeah, that, that's fair. And And there's parts of Detroit that I think work and function very it's cool that you can do that though yeah it's very cool that you can do that and then there's there's a part in the game where you have to infiltrate a radio broadcast tv broadcast tower via a or like a la oceans 11 style where you have like a master plan that kind of gets enacted i really wish we would have seen the master plan unfold or actually maybe play some of the master plan but regardless we see it all enact and then that part- mission has the most branching paths out of any one. Oh, does it? Yes. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. But eventually you get funneled into the actual comm room where you are going to deliver your broadcast. But there's a moment, and Detroit has probably three of these moments. Four. It has four of these moments that I think are the reason why this game is a game and not just a movie. It is the moment where... One of the like either camera operators or one of the people in the comms room escapes the android hostage situation that you've kind of enacted upon the humans. And then he runs out of the room. You have a gun and you're just told you have six seconds. Are you going to shoot this guy or not? And I think moments of like quickly incited panic are when this game really shines because Every time it happens in this game, it is a meaningful choice, but it also has a huge impact on how the rest of the world perceives whatever you just did. And I think it's really good. In my playthrough, I shot and killed the guy, but I played Marcus as a peaceful person. The only person Marcus killed was that one person in the comm tower. Rough. And and I like that. I, I like the idea of like this radicalist who resorted to radicalism and then realized like this isn't the way to do this i need to present a message of peace and it gets hurled in your face like you killed someone how can we trust you and it's like yeah you probably shouldn't but i am going to continue to be peaceful 
And then it's like, oh, this feels like an actual payoff because I committed to being peaceful after I killed that man. And it was, I thought it was cool. And uh, sure, like a quick moment of like a QTE, hey, this is going to have a quick impact. It it might be seen a little unfair, but I, for the most part, I think I'm okay with it because it's the most interesting, one of the most interesting things the game nah, those moments did. Make, those moments make games. That that was good, and uh, there's a couple more of those that I'll get into a little bit. But let, let's meet Kara real quick. <laughs> real quick. Yeah, Kara is a, a, a like a service type android who you wake up in the shop where where androids are being sold, and that's where we learn how much they cost. And then you see the different type of people who are potentially interested in buying them. And then we meet. The, the the guy you understand immediately that you're not supposed to like because of how he's presented. Because he's fat and everyone in David Cage games who's fat is a bad person. Yeah, that's true. In every David Cage game, that is actually true. And you get purchased by him. Or actually, no, you get picked up because you learn that it underwent – your model, you, went underwent repairs and you had your memory wiped. And over the course of your interaction with this man, the dad – and you, you you end up realizing that you have a a dad human and a little girl who you assume is his daughter. And so you learn that the wife well, left him. You get him. lied to about being. <laughs> yeah, you get lied to about it being his daughter. And uh, That's he, not good writing. You you infer like, oh, there's no wife here. Why? Why is there no mom? Oh, this is clearly an abusive relationship. One, because David Cage, that's. All he knows how to write women. He also knows how to write uh, tragedy as dead kids. Tragedy as dead kids, tragedy as abuse against women, and tragedy as potential sexual assault. Sexual that potential is just sexual assault. Uh, so yeah, We're, you immediately just infer I'm not supposed to like this guy. That's fine. Uh, he does drugs. You find out that he beats the robot because of crayon drawings, which is so asinine. Happiness from a child. I hate this. Ugh. But after kind of witnessing some of the abuse, you see another one of these moments that I think David Cage does well in this game. That the whole team behind Quantic Dream, because honestly, this seems like a, a visual moment that I don't think David Cage came up with. I think it was whoever is responsible for art direction. It's a moment where the androids actually break their their protocol and like achieve quote unquote deviancy and it's this really cool visual style where you're kind of taken into like a wireframe version of the game and the environment you're in and you're kind of up against a wall and that wall is the protocol that you're not allowed to cross because again you're not supposed to that's what you've been programmed to do a literal physical metaphorical wall yeah it's nice it's a it's a cool visual metaphor heavy-handed sure but it's it, it looks nice which I'm willing to forgive the heavy-handedness of it. And you have to break it by pressing buttons. This is another moment where I'm like, this makes sense. This is not picking up a, a, a goldfish on the floor of an apartment. It's not me pressing the right analog stick in a bunch of weird random directions that's kind of a pain in the ass to do... No, nah, man, that's fun. ...to do household things that don't really matter. It's a moment where I have to do a thoughtful button prompt in order to do a moment of catharsis. So do you not like how the game wastes your time? I hate that. That's why I didn't like Heavy Rain most of the time. I was like, this is so dumb. Like, why do I need to, like, 
pick up this person. Like, like there's so many things that you don't have to use the game to do. It's like I'll, I'll just press X and I can pick up this thing. Why do I have to press the analog stick? Why do I have to waste a fraction no, of a second more? I, I I disagree with you there. I, I think I like the I like the intricate analog stick movements. I don't like the fact that you have to do them at all because like a lot of the time, like like why even? I like like I get that you want to have more like more more control over the game to make it feel like more like a game, but but you I feel like those moments are just so silly. And I like doing the meal test. I like preparing the house for for Jason's birthday. I like cleaning the kitchen his car. I think that I think that that stuff is. I like that too. I enjoy doing the things. I just don't like these unnecessary button prompts that are kind of like I have to do three of these button prompts in order to clean the kitchen. It's like, can I just decide I want to clean the kitchen and then just do it? And then watch it, but then it's less of a game. It's that weird balance you have to strike in these things, right? But it feels so arbitrary in this instance. You know what that means is that maybe you should have cut something out of your scene. <laughs> there's, there's, there's a lot of fluff here. The, the game, I think my least favorite part about the game, aside from you know some of the very heavy-handed um, you know, uh, writing, is, is that it feels like it, it oftentimes will waste your time with unnecessarily bump, unnecessary bump button prompts. Yeah. Uh, but over the course of Kara's story... We learn that you know, bad man is bad, but he also has a gun in his in his room, and so you have a moment where he's abusing his quote unquote daughter, and you have a choice: do you step in? Do you take the gun? Do you shoot him? I shot him, and then I escaped with Kara, and then it's like a matter. That's of- why you didn't see. Oh man, you have. There's like this horrible moment at the at the uh, at the at the checkpoint where you died at, where you actually see him there. Oh really? Yeah, if you don't shoot him, it's really there was no need for that resolution to happen. <laughs> There's no closure needed there. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. So, uh, so Kara, you, you yeah, shot him. You ran away with the girl. You're basically the you're, the player is meant to believe that they are refuge, like you are a refugee that is holding someone hostage. Like that's how the public will perceive you. But that's not really how the relationship unfolds. The relationship between Kara and the little girl. What's her name? Uh, fucking not a human. Yeah, the little girl who you think is human at this point kind of sees you as her mom. And Kara sees her as her daughter, which is cool. Like, that's fine. That's, a again, another relationship we've seen countless times. But for the most part, I think that relationship works in the game. Like, I believe it. It's fine. Um, especially when you learn that, like, oh, she's a robot, eventually, in the third act of the game. You learn that the little girl's a robot because reasons. But for the most part, I'm like, oh, I'm willing to forgive the the problems I have with this relationship and believe the the arc of it. But then when you learn it's a robot, it's like, okay, it makes total sense now. Fine. Whatever. Yeah, why did the game lie to me so much? Bad writing, bad writing, bad writing, bad writing. But you eventually come across someone who is willing to give refuge to Kara, and it's someone who you are made to believe has the best interest of deviant androids uh, at heart like oh this is i will be safe here are you talking about zlatko are you talking about harriet tubman uh zlatko zlatko yeah is he russian sure he's a man who you are first believed to think oh great this is a safe haven for deviant androids this is great we're just gonna ride it out here we're gonna be fine spoilers it's not a nice man Oh, you mean all the cages in his basement didn't tip that off? He is actually taking all the androids and basically sending out like a false message that my home is a haven. Once the deviants show up, he rounds them up, reprograms them, and sends them on their way. That's fine. Whatever. Again, 
it, the game, it's choreographed a mile away. I don't, not really to the fault of the the storyteller. I think it's just one of those. I think it's foreshadowing that is doing what foreshadowing does. It's it's fine. I did like the moment though where you meet uh, his his servant, his manservant. What what's that android's name? I don't know, Shaq. <laughs> He's a very large black man. Very large and very stoic. He honestly he reminds me of like what I would assume an Othello looks like. He's very regal. He has like a very I've only ever watched the Othello where Othello was black, so that makes even more sense to me. <laughs> it's very funny you said that. Uh, but anyway, he has the very sharp jawline. Like he just he looks of royalty. And I'm like, okay, this this guy looks cool. And I'm like, oh, is he going to be the bad guy bodyguard that I'm going to have to kill? And you don't actually. You end up kind of recruiting him, at least in my playthrough. And this Zlatko. You lost him at some point. Yes, I lost him at a point. But Zlatko. How? I'll get there. I'll get there. But basically, I let loose all the androids that were in the in the dude's basement, let him out. They all tore Zlatko apart. And then I escaped with. Uh, with the the tall black man android uh but eventually kara winds up in jericho where marcus has established a colony of quote-unquote woke androids and it's like okay this is where the revolution begins and this is a safe haven also a, a place of planning for the revolution of androids against humans cool it all th- this storyline crosses, and at this point in the story, Connor is on the lookout for Jericho with your partner in crime, Hank, who is a human. And Hank has his own problems that he brings, but at the same time, it's like a tenuous relationship because Hank doesn't really like androids, but he kind of likes Connor, and Connor likes him. It's like okay, this is a good relationship. That's it's fine. great that in that dialogue, you you know, like you don't always want to pick the answer that that seems obviously like oh, I'm a good person because Hank is like. Hank sees that if you say if you're always being like the best person you can be like the angel character that like he sees through your facade of just trying to be nice or doesn't like exactly you're artificial which I think is the strongest point in the relationship which is why it's fun to actually play that because it's not just like good option bad option sometimes the bad option is the good option it's not always obvious when that is which is what makes um, you know that 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 dynamic probably the strongest one in the game I completely agree and one of the biggest problems I have with most games that have branching paths based on morality and getting people to like you in relationships. Infamous. Infamous. Uh, Biosh- or not Bioshock. Um, Mass Effect. Mass Effect has the wheel of conversation where the upper left is the paragon and it's blue. That's how you know people will like you if you do that, a- that action. And then there's an upper right action that's renegade. That's in red. People won't like you if you choose that one. I... And for the most part, in, in like descending order every time, the good option is in the top left, the bad option is in the top right, middle option, neutral option is in the middle, and then like the like basically opposite of like you're kind of shutting them down is at the bottom. I wish Mass Effect and any game that has a story like dialogue wheel would just mix those up every single time so you don't know which is the good one but that you know based on the context of what that sentence is that this is this is what I'm going to say. I think this is the appropriate context-sensitive context piece of dialogue that will serve me well. And then you see how that affects the relationship. That's how I want to see it. I, I want it to be random, and I want to use my actual perception and deduction 
to figure out how this dialogue unfolds, which is why I like the Hank relationship. But basically, Connor, Kara, and Marcus all are at Jericho. And Connor's there to bust Jericho. In your playthrough, we should say. In my playthrough, yes. Connor arrived at Jericho, and he was there to kind of put a stop to the robot revolution. And Kara was there because it was a safe refuge, and he, she just wants her daughter to be safe with Luther, the big, tall, black man android who's very cool. And then Marcus is there getting ready to enact, like, the final bit of the rebellion where they will take to the grand stage. But because Connor finds them, he brings with him the hell force of the police force. Everyone comes in, and it's this huge invasion. It's at this point in the game that Kara learns from Luther that the little girl you've been traveling with for about eight hours of the game at this point is, in fact, a robot. She learns by seeing another person, another robot who is the same model. Yeah, yeah. She, right. Again, that logic doesn't apply when it's the humans looking at the androids, but that's fine. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Luther throughout the course of the game has been like, hey, Kara, I need to tell you something about the little girl. And then she's like, not right now, Luther, shut up. And that's immediately to the players like, oh, she's a robot. But the problem is... Bad, bad, bad writing. Nothing else in the game tells you that she's a robot except for a magazine that's like in one of the rooms in the house that you first meet the little girl. That's... Uh, oh. She constantly refuses food. <laughs> there's, there's signs of it, but again, a lot of it feels like out of left field. Um, but it's at that point that the home's invaded. You understand that, or the Jericho's invaded. You understand their stakes. Connor kind of immediately feels bad for doing it. And I, there's a great, great encounter between Connor and Marcus. Connor is sent there to kill Marcus. That is his goal. But it's a great interaction where you're playing Connor's scene from Marcus's perspective, trying to... I, for me, I wanted Marcus to live because I felt that was what Connor needed to happen. At this point, Connor needed to be deviant and break through that final barrier and it's this beautiful give and take relationship that culminates in my story with connor breaking deviancy and then joining the rebellion and mark's like oh thank god i didn't die great <laughs> and then with kara kara and the little girl and luther are trying to escape and in my playthrough the swat team's taking out robots left and right luther distracted the robots i had the opportunity to save them but me i'm in mama mode so i'm like Sorry, Luther. I got to look after my daughter. Bye. And then he got killed. And then there's moment two of Detroit that's like, oh, this was a good moment where you are running away from people who are about to shoot you and you can play dead. I played dead. And when you're laying on the ground motionless, one of the SWAT team walks up to you and he has a gun aimed at the little girl and you are given the option, cover her with yourself or just continue to play dead. And you have six seconds to decide. And your immediate reaction, if you are role-playing as a mother, or even as a father, if I were the dad in this instance, your maternal or paternal instinct is to shield your loved one with your body. But the, like, smart... I, I think my logic played in. I was like, well, I think I can sell. Like, if you're an android, just you're just going to shut it off. Gonna, you can shut off your breathing mechanism or whatever, and you'll be fine. So I play dead, and they were like, huh, they're dead. Great. And then they walk away. I was like, cool. That was a nice moment. There, there, that was intense. And then it's just a huge sequence of QTEs where you're trying to escape via, like, 
quick combat action with Marcus, and then Connor steps in because you recruited him, and he's a badass. You're shooting dudes. That was a cool action scene. I really enjoyed that action scene. And I think the the game does action scenes pretty well. They're they're pretty fun. Like there's a chase scene that happens earlier with Connor that's a lot of fun. But did you like how the action unfolded, Joey? I liked how the action unfolded, man. I liked all these parts of the game. I just didn't like a lot of the script and like beating you over the head. Everything else, like I thoroughly enjoyed. I didn't have a lot of low points. There were points I really liked. I really liked being in Zlatko's house. I really liked being in the eating club. I really liked when you met um, Kamsky for the first time in his blood red pool. And he's like, oh, hey, that- dude, do you want to shoot this robot? Um, I mean, we'll give you all the information. You're like, fuck, what am I going to do? What's Hank going to think? What's I'm going to think? Do I want to shoot the robot? Does Connor want to shoot the robot? What does Hank want me to do? What does this person want me to do? If I shoot the robot, am I going to get the information? Like, that is. Well, like- it's not just any robot, too. It's the robot that you're greeted with every time you start the game. Oh, my favorite person in the game. She's I fantastic. Love, I love Menu Girl so much. Menu Girl was probably my one of my favorite parts of the game where you kind of build rapport with her as just a player interacting with the UI. And there's points where you start the game again and she goes, hey, do you have time to take a quick survey? And then she just asks you questions like, hey, would you ever be in a relationship with a robot? How do you feel about robots? How do you like love that shit? It's very good, and it pays off in this moment where you have to hold a gun up to her head and say, "Hey, you can kill her and get the answer you're looking for, or you can spare her, and I'm not going to give you the answer." I spared her. What did you do? Um, I killed her. You killed her. Mm-hmm. Hank didn't like it. Hank didn't like it. And what did uh, what did that creator dude do? He gave me all the info I wanted. He gave you everything? Yeah, he was true to his word. That's good. really cool. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I did play it both ways. I, I played a lot of things both ways because I wanted to see what happened. Oh, I, no. I, 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 I liked it enough to be like I needed to be satiated by knowing all, all the puzzle pieces. So I spent a lot more time playing the game because I did go back through missions and play through all the past. Some of which were a real pain in the ass to do because I had to go back like an hour for some, for some things. But, you know, whatever. What were some of your favorite levels? Uh, were, there, were there things that stood out to you? Obviously, the first one. The yeah, first level was great. I love the chase scene between Connor and the first one of the first deviant androids who like escapes the crime scene, and you have to chase him down. Uh, I love the idea that Hank gets mad at you if you stop to help him. Yeah. What the fuck are you doing? You're a bad cop. Yeah. Like, uh, oh, this is when I'm not supposed to have emotions. Cool, thanks, dude. I like that, and I think I liked. I like the moment of uh, Connor's like final act of the game. I like where you're in the headquarters of the facility. Did you know enough about about uh, Mr. Krabs to like answer the questions right? To actually like like what happened to you there when you're when you're at the at the tropius tropy standoff of who's the who's the real evil twin? Oh, um, I got shot right away, <laughs> but then I just transferred my consciousness to the evil android but hank died so yeah my hank died in, in my playthrough you had a lot of people die dude luther died hank died both Kara and little Kara died so that moment with Kara, this is the final act of Kara where she's about to uh get on a bus to escape i don't know are we being confusing because we're so all over the place no i think it's fine i think it, it it's fine. I, I it's interesting how we've like gone through most like so much plot in this versus some of the other episodes i i i i, I love that like we're able to do that yeah, and I think for the most part you can kind of piece together how the plot unfolds because one of how like kind of obvious it is, but also two like it is pretty well put together and like how it's assembled. Uh, but yeah, I was Kara at the border, and I'm at the opposite. Like, oh, I'm I'm nearing the finish line. I'm about to escape. This is great. All is well, and then my controller died, 
and I could not get that controller recharged no matter what USB I used, no matter where I connected it, and I was very frustrated. But once I finally found the option of how to charge my controller, I activated it, holding the analog stick forward, and walked into a group of police officers who said, hey, let me see some ID. And then because I wasn't paying attention, there was an action I didn't see that I could do that quickly went away. And then I was given the option of presenting my paperwork or something I didn't unlock at that point. I was like, oh, well, surely I can get out of this once I select show my paperwork because it was the only option available to me. And then I died. Yeah, I think you fucked up. Yeah, it's a fuck up. And I think on it, you though, not the game. I don't think so. I think that this is a moment that it was so anticlimactic that I think it did the game a disservice. I think this was the the point where a game like this should offer you like, yo, you fucked up royally. Go back to the start of the scene. That's fine. You can do that with any level. No, you can't. I went to go back to do that, and it took me to the beginning of the act. So that yeah. Means, so you have to do the whole scene through the snow again, where you're sneaking around. Well, that and I have to do Connor's part too. I had to do all of that shit, and I was not a fan of that. So I was like, nope. But it didn't even give you the satisfaction of seeing, like, your your the punishment should have been seeing Kara and the little girl get killed. Like, fuck, that sucks. I don't want to see that. I care about these people to some extent. And then I just saw them die. That would have compelled me to go back and change it. But the fact that it's just a cut to black and then you just go to the next person, it just feels like such a slap in the face where you're like, you're not even going to try to elicit any sort of emotional response from me? Really? I wish, I wish stylistically um, they, they, did, they did that. I, I, I had the same feeling. Like, come on. You're just going to shut it down like that in such an anticlimactic way? Like, there should have been a way of having me be able to talk about – like. I saved someone like there's a part where you find a ticket on the floor and you can either return it or whatever. But because I got that ticket, there should be like a, a save state or like a fail safe where it's like, oh, I'm going to step in because you were kind to me sort of thing. Like that doesn't need to happen. But because of how the choices I made, I feel as though there should have been that safety net there because that feels a, Nick, a, just such a fan of safety nets. A death in a game like this should be reserved for dramatic moments, not moments of quiet, like... It, it shouldn't be a moment of, like, something uninteresting happening. It should be a moment of high interest and high, high dramatic. It needs to be a very good reason for someone to die. I think you're being hypercritical of something that you fucked up twice to achieve. Shh. I, I don't know, man. And even You I, walked into them, and you didn't press the option to get out of it, and you're mad that you didn't do either of those but, things. But the though, game gave you two options to not do that. How many more though, options do you need? Even though that happened, it didn't make the game doesn't make it convenient to go back to that point. Yes, and I'm not going to defend that. I think that it should have been easier to get back to that point. But like, I feel like you're excessively upset something. Like, how, like, what, what would have, how many more options should they have given you to save yourself there? I guess it's it's fine with me that Kara died. It's not fine how she was how her storyline ended as a result. You should have shown her getting killed. Sorry. Like that's what it should have been. You should have picked the game back up and then not have her die. <laughs> nope. They didn't they didn't earn it. I did not feel compelled. You cheated yourself because you were frustrated about a USB cord? Eh, it's fine. 
the character didn't compel me enough to go back anyway. Yeah, the only character who compels anyone is Connor, and not. I would have gone Jesus. back if I did not feel satisfied with Connor's resolution. And Connor's resolution. <laughs> you got shot. Connor's resolution is that he is kind of like on the verge of like going back to his prime programming or something like that. Then you have to go back to the statue that you've seen every time you get killed and then get resurrected in this garden. You speak to your like advisor. There's a statue in this garden that never does anything until you need it to. But the game's like, hey, figure out a way out of this before you fail. And it's like, oh, I probably have to go to that statue that has not been interactive at all. So I was like, okay, that makes sense. That's fine. So that happens. That unfolds. It's all hunky-dory. My Marcus was very peaceful in his approach. I saved everyone who was, like, in my little revolutionary squad, even though the uh, police invaded and started shooting people. You didn't, like, kiss on Hillary Clinton and stopped everything? No, I did Hillary Clinton, but I did a very ridiculous action scene where Marcus was just the perfect save in every possible situation. That is a very funny scene. Whether it be kicking a dumpster in front of a soldier who decided to shoot someone and then just decided to stop shooting them because I rolled a dumpster in front. Like, okay, this is very funny. But regardless, I saved everyone in that instance. I kissed my love interest, and then I showed the rest of humanity that, hey, robots are human after all. They have become human. Detroit. And so the entire game culminates in Marcus delivering this grand speech to humanity, and then that's when Connor is about to pull a gun on Marcus and execute him on live TV. And that's the moment that I'm alluding to where you have to go to the garden and then find the statue to break free of that like weird interaction that you would Why have had. Why did they leave the statue there? I have no idea. None of that, none of that none really... Of so, like, yeah. There's so many plot holes. And so Marcus basically earns the rights for all the robots everywhere. Kara is just another one of the, in my story, a casualty in the revolution for robots. And Connor was a catalyst for Marcus to, like, incite revolution that succeeded. And everyone lived happily ever after that. Despite the fact that World War III is about to begin in the other grand scheme of things. Our playthroughs were markedly different, which is fun. What happened in your playthrough? I don't have the time to go through that. <laughs> what, at the very end, was it a happy ending? Well, I mean, I mean, I, I, got, I got Hillary Clinton being like, and we've got to respect the robots. Oh, yeah, well, so, yeah, Hillary Clinton did do that, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I mean, Kara, Kara got, um, you know, the, the, the girl got to escape with Harriet Tubman. Kara, Kara dies so that, so that little girl can live, you know. Marcus Marcus is a martyr for a cause. Oh, Marcus martyred himself. Interesting. Yeah. Um and Connor Connor's just like, you know, sad about uh sad about his he's having like a real existential crisis. Yeah, everything was pretty good on my end. I felt pretty satisfied like from the story that was told, everything unfolded the way it should have. And because we are already out of time, Joey, you give Detroit two thumbs up. I mean, it was one of my favorite games that I played last year, and, I, and I'm very happy that I played it, and I liked the game. So, I mean, sure, if you want to say two thumbs up, I'll say two thumbs up. I'm, I'm fine with that. I, I, I think that it's worth playing. 
If I I know there's some people who don't like it because of like I they just want to like you know fucking play Dynasty Warriors or some shit. And if you're that type of person who just wants to play Counter Strike or Dynasty Warriors and you don't want to play an interactive story, that's fine. If you're someone who wants like more of a complete gaming experience where they do play like these more these more like avant garde less it's it, it's not Mario. You're not playing Mario. It's a very different type of game. But if, but if you like that, if you like the storytelling, if you can get past some of the, you know, crazy heavy handedness, if you can get past the fact that David Cage is David Cage, then then yeah, I think you should play Detroit. Also, the game's fucking beautiful. It's also, I it's one of my favorite in-game HUDs. Like like the design of all the different options and all the things how they pop up in the world like a HUD. I love it. The the amount of acting that went into it because everything in that game is motion captured. Yeah. In a studio, it's crazy. Like all of that is so damn cool. It's great. I think it's. I think it's worth people's time. Um. You, yeah. I. I. And, and what, what do you think, Nick? Uh, I think it's a. If you've never played a Quantic Dream game or a David Cage game, I think this is the one to play. Yeah. Um, I think it's the best example of what David Cage and the team at Quantic Dream strives for. Um, if you have no interest in interactive storytelling like this, you're not going to like it. Yeah, so don't. Um, but regardless, I think it's a prime example of how to tell a story, but also how not to tell a story in a game. Are I, you happy you played it? I'm honestly kind of indifferent about it. I, I think that it is a game I will forget about in probably five years and then be like, oh, yeah, I played that. There were some moments I enjoyed myself. Like, I didn't actively hate the game. It just didn't leave enough of... It, it didn't impact me enough that it just is truly memorable for me. But that said, I do think that the art direction is beautiful, and I do really like the UI. It's something that I think other people, like, you know, pe- people can use this technology and build better games off of it. People can learn, take examples. I mean, I think that the Quantic Dream games, like, often inspire a very type specific type to create more content like this yeah and while they do it the best in the gaming universe i do think that we're going to see more of this type of stuff and we have in the sense of like you know the walking simulator like we get more games that are like firewatch per se uh, so so i i like those kind of games i think that that it inspires people to make more of these type of games I think that it's a growing category of games i think detroit detroit is like you know the peep the one of the games who unfortunately sits atop of the pedestal right now because it's like in most games, you're playing the character, right? But in Detroit, it's almost like you're playing the director because you're controlling the pacing. Yeah. Whereas in other games, you're just you're 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 playing the 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 actor. Yeah. But in Detroit, you're playing the director. It's it's a very different type of role, which 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 is cool. I think it works. I think that honestly, now that I think about it, I think the th- the a game like this that I would probably that I do enjoy more is uh, probably Until Dawn, the mm. the horror one. That's interesting. I think that one's a lot more fun, even though it has some button prompts that just are infuriating. But other than that, I think it's a a good example of how a story game like this can unfold. But Joey, now that we've talked about Detroit Become Human, what is the next garbage game club game? So we put a poll up on Patreon, patreon.com slash garbage, which makes all this possible. So thank you for your support there. Um, and, and if you'd like to join, it's, 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 it's uber helpful for us. Uber helpful for us. You get, you, know, you get access to Garbage Game Club. You get access to Joey Hates Movies. You get access to more Cyber Garbage stuff, which is the show we do on Twitch, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, twitch.tv slash cybergarbage, patreon.com slash cybergarbage. Get those plugs and plug them, plug them, plug them, plug them. Um, yeah, iTunes listeners. 
Hold on. You know, you know, if we're if we're plugging right now, the fact that Garbage Game Club is on iTunes, I am the only person to give it a review. Can I say that? I think I think no, that's bad. I want all of you, you listening. You gotta go to go on iTunes. Download or subscribe to the podcast, but don't download an episode. Leave us a review. Get those numbers up, baby. Click the subscribe button on your iTunes account. Click the subscribe button on your Spotify account, your Google your Google Play Music podcast account, whatever you want. Give it give it a good rating, please. Give us uh, those five stars. Give, give us five stars. Leave a review. Well, we'll talk about a review on the next episode. But yeah, that is available everywhere you want to get a podcast. So fucking do it. Okay, I know the people who watch live aren't going to want to do it because they already like they're not going to listen to this again. But like, fucking do it. If you okay? want to help us, if you want to support us, seriously, in a way it, that costs you no money, it's a way this. that we can show other people that people listen to this, and then we can make money off of it, and then we can make better things. Because at the end of the day, we are a business. How it fucking lays. Imagine if we sold a, an an ad. Oh my god! I would be. I, w- I would jerk off. I'd be so. <laughs> um, okay, so 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 the 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 thing is that we did post a poll on Patreon for the next game. We had we had three different options: Hitman Two, a game that I want to play. I want to play it too. Nick, you also added in. I added in Dragon's Dogma, a game that is coming to popular resurgence and is an overlooked gem of a game. And we added a game that was widely regarded as one of the 2018 games of the year, Into the Breach. Ooh, which is which is the neutral choice? All games that I would really like to play. And you know what we're gonna play? What are we gonna play? By, by, by popular demand, it, it did take over half the vote. Uh, we're I gonna know play. It is. We're gonna play Into the Breach. What? Wow! Right? I thought I, it was. I gonna thought be, it was gonna be Hitman. Yeah, I thought it was gonna be Hitman as well. The I, thing is, is that I feel like this is like is, is it a Sophie's choice when you give people options that that none of them really matter? Because I feel like we're eventually gonna do Hitman too, anyways. Yeah, we are. But um, I'm I'm glad this is a fun. I'm very excited. But now I'm, we have to keep that can down the road because now we have to play Faster Than Light, a turn-based strategy game from the developers of Faster Than Light, which made a lot of money last year, sold a lot of copies. A lot of people, were, a lot of people and critics are very excited about it. And I am excited to have to do it. Um, I and have love to play X. It. I know that I know that Nick's excited about it. I hope that y'all are excited to play it along with us. You got a little bit of time to do your homework, but when we get back here next time, I hope that you played into the breach. I hope that you enjoyed this podcast. I hope that you go to patreoncom garbage and sign up. I hope that you review this podcast and follow it on the channel that you like the most, please. Um, yeah, that's all I gotta say. I'm gonna be honest. I'm very, very late with the I'm I had so sorry. Time. Thank you guys for listening and/or watching Garbage Game Club. Until next time, we will see you on Monday. Goodbye. Bye. And now I'm ending the. Re- Very close to Mother's Day. Uh-huh. Um, so we're doing two... So tomorrow, we're probably going to go get dinner with my dad for his birthday. And then mm, Sunday for Mother's Day, we're going to go get full body scans. Hell yeah. We're, what does we're, that mean? We're going to go find out like what our percent fat is, how much muscle mass we have on all parts of our body, like what our resting metabolic rate is. We're going to get like a crazy 3D printout. It's basically like a full body, like slow x-ray that'll tell me like where everything is and how much of it I have. <laughs> I'm not super stoked about um, finding and like having a hard number attached to my body fat percentage. Uh-huh. Uh, it'll be good for making goals, which I think is is the ultimate like, you know, good thing. Yeah. But... um. 
just, just knowing that it's going to be higher than I want it to be. Do they, be do they tell you your estimated life span? No, no, no. no. But <laughs> if I mean, you I'm don't sure. change your ways and continue living the way you do, you will die in X. I'm sure they're tied together. Um, <laughs> like the scan that we're doing is actually the most accurate way to test body fat, which means that I'll get a higher percentage than like if I were to do like a water test or something. Yeah, yeah. So, um. I, I'm like not a hundred percent stoked about that, but I'm really excited to know what what my mess what what like my daily calorie resting burn is. Yeah, and like I my my left arm after I broke it has been weaker than my right arm, and I'd love to have like a percentage of muscle mass between my two biceps and triceps. I think that would be super interesting. <laughs> Does it gets that granular? Yeah. Wow. I can know I can know most muscle groups. I can like, and then I can compare, like you know, I can compare the muscle mass in my calves and quads to the average human population, which I'm super excited for because I'm gonna say it. I think 90th percentile. You've clearly no, absolutely not. 90th percentile. <laughs> okay, Joey. Yeah, I think, dude, dude. I mean, that that top 10 percentile. Those are people who go to the gym every day. No, that's not true. That's 100 percent true. For biggest calves, not not biggest calves, just 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 like just like lean lean mus lean leg muscle. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna get those numbers back, and you're gonna honestly. Be like, I think most heavy people have very nice legs because you know legs support a lot of weight, and therefore their wow, calves. I feel like I feel like that was that was a personal attack. No, it's not. Very it's unfair. just like most heavy people have really nice calves That's- because they're carrying a lot more weight. That's why my uh, that's why my that's why my legs are so nice because I'm fat. It's okay, Nick. I I get it. I see you. Yeah, I some see, I see uh, some of on. my football friends who were like the linemen, they were just yeah, big boys. Yeah, I see what's going on. That's okay. I'm gonna go cry later. <laughs> just be like, oh, fucking Nick, you was so mean to me. Dude, I chose the negative option, and I hurt your feelings. Um, my, this might not my, mean anything to anyone who's listening right now, but you might find this interesting. Um. You know, we ran that NPL show, uh-huh. uh, that, that, that white new vMix PC we set up, Yeah, was not plugged into Ethernet, and we did the whole show over NDI. So every PC, all five PCs, went to that vMix PC well, I mean, via that- NDI over Wi-Fi. And you, <laughs> and you know what? You know what's the funniest thing? What? Is when I went in to go consult and, like, set up the studio like help set up the studio that one day i explicitly said all of these are going to be connected to ethernet right yeah all the all the all all, all the gaming pcs were but all the pcs mm, I, I mean, said all these pcs I, are I, going to be connected I, to ethernet right i feel like all and i also said oh ellie or oh, oh i doxed you Oh, <laughs> doxed. I was like, "Hey, here's the here's where you the server rack, and this is where you want to connect directly into the internet right here." Yeah, all of the PCs except for that one got connected, and I and I, I feel I feel like all might not necessarily include that PC. Mm, I was definitely looking directly at it and say, "All these PCs." I don't know, man. I'm I'm I because I was I, triaging it. I, I I feel like I could litigate that. Myron blamed you. Really? Yeah. No. Uh, I was actually hired to train. I was not hired to connect anything. Fun fact. Well, now you're lawyering two different points in this conversation. Well, it's true. Nah. (laughs) 
I don't think this would hold up in court. Some say that a, a different rate should have been paid out. <laughs> See, now that's just getting weird. I, I'm just saying. That's just. But I didn't because it's my friends. It's fine. But if it was a company I didn't care about, like, it's, oh, this isn't what I signed up for. You're going to have to pay me more. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Everyone is just seeing that you're like this weird Mr. Moneybags person now. Well, it's true. You got to know your worth and don't let people try and, oh, well, what can you just do this? Can you just do that? That's how people get taken advantage of. And it's all about standing up for yourself because you are your own biggest advocate. Mm -hmm. Build the wall, Nick. That's not true at all. (laughs) Yeah. Um. So that's why they, that's that's part of the reason why the frame rate on on the OGN show was a little bit icky because everything was going over Wi-Fi to the VMix PC. <laughs> hey, well, I'm I'm surprised. Are you it surprised was... it worked as well as it did though? Yeah, exactly. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> I'm surprised nothing like caught on fire. Dude, that Wi-Fi bandwidth is crazy. Yeah, well, you guys have got like an upgraded connection now. Yeah, right? we have like 300 megabits down. I don't I don't know. I can't see chat. I don't know what people are talking about, but um. People are saying GG Nick. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So that, oh, wait, I'm not gonna. I don't want to cover the special boys. Oh, don't 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 cover the special boys. Um, special people. There we go. I yeah. So so that that was fun. Wednesday was fun. I I, I talked to some people in Discord about the show. I don't know how many people here watched what we did with uh with OGN. We got a we got a lot of feedback. My, Myron, as soon as I saw him, he says, "You fucker." <laughs> Because you you just heard all the notes, the same notes at the same time. I just I just said I just said, hey man, the color temperature was off. This is this is production talk with Nick and Joey. Um, mm. If you go back and look at that show, there's going to be some things that are fixed next week. But all things considered, like I mean, compared to you know some episodes of the attack when we did it for the first time, nothing went catastrophically wrong. No, so you can't really complain. We had a, we had a fun time. Yeah. I did some writing for next week's show since Alex is gone. Is it going to be good? I'm just saying I might have bought a cattle prod today. I've always wanted one. I'm curious how they actually work. I got to shoot a thing for Rob today. That was fun. Did you also go to Culver City? No, I just shot it in the studio because I was like, oh, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it, Myron, because Myron set it up. And he says, this might be weird, but could you just shoot it? wherever you are you can shoot it on a phone that's fine too and i was like a phone i couldn't do that because i wasn't because i was white so then i told uh randy because randy's are like a con- uh, uh just like on-call camera dude i was like hey dude you want to shoot this for for the company this company rob's thing he goes yeah i'm not doing anything right now so i just used like a 4k camera and gave rob like three different takes and he was like dude this looks great nice i i feel um bad for being excluded because of my skin color and i would like to file an official complaint i wasn't sure what the piece was so i had like vastly different reads for every every time i actually read through it i kind of got a twilight zone vibe but i don't think it's a twilight zone-esque i think it's actually like a skin color thing right I think no one knows what we're talking about. I know. No one does. This doesn't make any sense. Really, really, Nick and I are just catching up right now because we've spent the last, you know, 18 hours apart. So mm-hmm. we, have to, we have to resync ourselves. I'm going to make a pizza tonight. I'm glad you are. It's taking up a lot of room in the freezer. It's in the fridge. What? Yeah, it's in the fridge. Did you de-thaw it today? Oh, no. It was in the freezer last night. Oh, man. 
That's fine. It'll I be. feel like you don't have to dethaw that. Nah, that's fine. It's a freezer pizza. Yeah. Trader Joe's freezer pizzas are pretty good, though. It's the uncured pepperoni. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like that. I th- I think next week will be the one year anniversary of your chicken thighs that have been in the freezer from Trader Joe's, <laughs> and I don't know what to do about them. I'm gonna eat them. They're not good anymore. <laughs> They're fine. If you, you sh- put something in the freezer and it gets frozen solid, it is safe forever. That's not. <laughs> You know that's not true. That's why you're laughing. It degrades in quality over time. That meat's going to be the toughest chicken you've ate in your entire but life. But cavemen get frozen all the time and brought back to life, and they're fine. How long do we let the, the, the ground round be in the freezer for? The what? The ground round be in the freezer for. Ground round? The what? beef. The beef tube. Oh, it's probably bad. <laughs> when, I'm, I'm going to wait for it to officially be one year that I'm going to throw out your chicken that's been in the freezer for exactly one year. <laughs> and then I'm also going to throw out the ground round and the spumoni. <laughs> um, this spumoni was disappointing. It's be- I didn't like it because, like, day of. Because it's spumoni, which is objectively one of the worst ice cream flavors. It's fine. And I- it was fine the first day and even the second day. But after the third day, it just became ice. And I was like, oh, well, this is no longer enjoyable. And that's it. But my question is at that point, why just leave it in the freezer? Because it feels like a shame to throw away such a tub of spumoni. But it's just been sitting there for so long. I know. You have, like, weird food hoarder problems. And I have weird everything else hoarder problems. (laughs) Like, I'll save a used zip tie because I'm like, I can use this. (laughs) But you'll save something you're not going to eat for an entire year and be like, hey, man, I still might eat. Like, what if if the fucking atomic bomb drops? (laughs) I'll make do. Yeah, see? I'd eat that frozen chicken if we were cut off from supplies. I mean, I would too, but I wouldn't like it. <laughs> you can also just go buy new chicken thighs. It's like $7. Oh, I know. I will. I actually really like getting my chicken from the Korean grocery store by the Attack Studio. I never uh, trust the mark- that market because it's Why? always time. Why? It's often very dirty in there. <laughs> like, it's fine. The market's not very cleanly. Eh, it's fine. Their, their marinade is really good. Their beef marinade, their chicken marinade, and then their spicy marinade is very tasty. I feel like if I'm not buying meat from Costco, I'm just wasting money. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, I feel pretty firmly. No, the, the, the food there is so cheap. Oh, it's so cheap. Okay, the I meat mean, and chicken. It's why do you think it's cheap? I don't know, because it's good. Keep telling yourself that. I enjoy it. That's like, hey, would you buy like a $2 XLR cord? We've done that several times. <laughs> We're not using any right now, but we have in the past. Yeah. I have one in my back. They're, they're like $10. It's whatever. 